Hello and welcome back to Mind Body Torah. I'm your host, Arya Rene. And today we are sitting with Rav Moshe Silver. We are on his Mirpeset, his balcony in Jerusalem. And uh, it is a, a beautiful day and also a day with a lot of tension. Um, but Rav Moshe is eating his breakfast right now. <laughs> so we will let him uh, digest. And uh, we'll open with a short meditation to, uh, to prepare for a meaningful conversation. So if you're in a place that you're able to, I invite you to close your eyes or soften your gaze and bring your awareness to your breath. Notice what you're feeling in your body in this moment. Notice what thoughts are coming up. And allow yourself to relax into what is. Whatever you're experiencing right now, just letting it be. Not trying to change it. Not judging it. Just noticing. as you allow your breath to slow down and deepen. Go ahead and scan your body, starting from your feet, up to your legs, torso, your arms, your head, allowing yourself to feel just a little bit more relaxed. Even with all the other feelings that you might be feeling right now, even if you're not feeling relaxed, so allow yourself to feel just even 1% more relaxed. Doesn't mean the other feelings aren't there, doesn't mean they're not important, but we're also allowing peace to come into our lives just a little bit more. Rob Moshe is about halfway through his breakfast. But he's, he's ready whenever we are. So maybe we'll take another, just a few more breaths. Arriving in this moment. And sending intention that this conversation that we're having that you're listening to will bring just a little bit more peace into the world. Just a bit more awareness. Just a bit more love. 
even if it sometimes it feels uncomfortable. Recognizing that we can't grow without discomfort. So when you're ready, I invite you to can either open your eyes or keep them closed. The as the conversation uh, shifts from meditation to uh, something, confrontation, confrontation. <laughs> <laughs> whatever it will be, will arise. So Rav Moshe is a student teacher of Torah, a writer, peacemaker, and a friend of Jews and Palestinians alike, as well as many more people, and blessed to speak with you today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Ari. It's, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. It's, I hope what I have to say is going to be important, and I hope it will be more than, more than anything else. I hope it will be useful to your listeners. Ezrat Hashem, please God. So, first let's just check in. How are you, how are you feeling right now? Uh, you know, my wife and I made Aliyah about five and a half years ago. We've lived in the same apartment since we got here in the same neighborhood. Um, and our experience of, you know, this current war, just as it was in 2021, is, you know, it feels like we're in a bubble. Um, and there's one aspect of it which is almost like, you know, it's not real. Like we're seeing the images, but we see so many similar images, you know, on, on television and movies and, you know, as entertainment. Um, this is not entertainment. It's very, very painful. And uh, I don't know, at the same time, I, I guess, you know, feeling kind of cocooned here in Jerusalem, I feel... It's hard to connect to the reality of it, even though we know people who have lost friends and loved ones. Um, but, you know, also it doesn't touch our family, our immediate family, you know, our one, our one child who lives here, our son who's married, and uh, our two granddaughters, and they're not, you know, they're here in Jerusalem. Actually, right now they're in Greece. Um, they're not directly exposed. But so many people that we know are. Mm -hmm. So I'm hearing I'm hearing some fear, some concern, and also some safety, and maybe even some discomfort with that safety. What? Why are we feeling the safety when there's so much happening right now? I feel as as I you know as I always do that I'm <clears throat> excuse me I'm particularly blessed with you know good health you know, a decent income, uh, a good living situation, you know, never have to worry about where my next meal is coming from. And right now it feels like I also don't have to really worry about my personal safety or the safety of my family. So it feels like with that background, I have an obligation to do what I can to be useful to other people. Um, as you know, as I mentioned to you, like yesterday, I spent, you know, a good chunk of the day, uh, not not the first day in this in this past week, but I spent a good chunk of the day speaking with Palestinian friends, 
Israeli Jewish friends, <coughs> excuse me, also, and but particularly I wanted to make sure I reached out to my Palestinian friends, you know, around Jerusalem, because I know that um, that they're experiencing a lot of pressure right now. That you know, they're <coughs> they're afraid to go out of their homes, um, and in some cases, as I mentioned to you when we spoke the other day, you know, there are in some of the Arab neighborhoods in, in the city of Jerusalem, there are gangs of, of Jewish, I guess, young guys walking around looking to make trouble. It means they're looking for Arabs to beat up. And, um, you know, at the same time, yesterday there was a uh, terror attack inside the old city or right at the gate of the old city. And I believe, if I heard the report correctly, that the person who perpetrated the attack was from Beit Hanina which is one of the neighborhoods where I have friends, one of the neighborhoods where people are staying locked in their homes. Um, so it's hard not to sympathize with every Jew who is either afraid of or hates every Arab, and also not to sympathize with every Arab who's afraid of every Jew, or, you know, let's say even who hates every Jew. Um, and at the same time, that's just a you know a constant cycle, and I think you know God willing we have to find a way to break that, and I don't know how to do that. So. What would you respond to people who would say, maybe who are already feeling triggered in this moment, hearing you talk about Palestinians and feeling, what about our pain? What about what just happened? Um, mm -hmm. I don't have the emotional bandwidth, and, and they. People who, who feel that um, this is the time just to focus on, on the Jewish people and our pain, how would you respond to them? I, I, I can't argue that that's wrong. You know, it's not, I'm, I am who I am. And I have my own, you know, I have to preface everything that I'm saying by saying that I don't present what I say or how I feel or how I react or how I behave as the right way to do it. I'm, this is my way of doing it, you know. Um, and yeah, we have to we have to take care of ourselves first. You know, there's an organization that I've done a lot of work with over the last few years um, that's sent out like on on Saturday on Shabbat, like the first within the first hours, sent out a, a, a message saying, you know, we're trying to raise money to get uh, humanitarian supplies for what's going to be a large number of refugees in Gaza. And my first reaction was an emotional one, which was, you know what, I may never talk to you again, because this is the wrong message to be sending to me, a Jew living in Jerusalem. Um, and so, you know, we have not given money to Gaza relief. Not that we don't care about people everywhere, not that we don't recognize that most of the people in Gaza are not terrorists and most of them are in certain ways just as brutalized or terrorized by Hamas as, you know, as the as as we have been until they actually perpetrated this, this you know, this hor horrible crime. Um, so we've been giving money to Jewish organizations, you know, we've been giving money to buying food, buying supplies, to buying, you know, um, made a donation to a, you know, to a, a, a fellow who's raising money because his son is in a specialized tank unit and they need certain body armor and things like that. And they, 
So, you know, yeah, that because charity begins at home and it's only it's only thanks to, you know, thank God, Baruch Hashem, thanks to the fact that we have a state of Israel and we are strong and established here that we have the luxury of worrying about the Palestinians who live here. So I, I'm completely aware of that. Just like I said, you know, I have the luxury because, thank God, I have my health, my family have their health. We have, you know, we're okay financially, you know. And because of that, personally, I feel a, a need, an obligation to be useful to other people, right? And because of and thanks to the fact of us having an established state here, that's where I've, from that springboard, I feel a, an obligation to to try to be useful to people who who don't benefit from from everything that I benefit from. Mm -hmm. It's that simple. And God forbid we were in the situation were reversed. I don't think if I were living in Gaza, I don't think that I'd be saying, yeah, but I really want to collect money for those poor people in Israel. Mm -hmm. And I get that. So, yeah. so I'm aware that it's I'm aware that I have a luxury of being able to reach out to my Palestinian friends in East Jerusalem mm -hmm. and tell them I hope that they're okay. Mm -hmm. But sounds, that luxury creates an obligation, I feel. Mm -hmm. It sounds very complex to hold to hold the pain of both sides. I don't think it's something that a lot of people are able to do. I I don't know that my that my heart or my neshama, my soul are that big. I my interactions are pretty much one on one. You know, um, I have I have individual friends, people who I know, people, people whose families I know. You know, um, that's you know when we in the past years we've been involved or I've been involved in particular in different initiatives to try to keep families from being evicted from their homes, like in Sheikh Jarrah, mm -hmm. right? And it's very very targeted. It's one family, one home. They have their story, the history of, you know, a case of the Sumerian family, which was a very well-known case. The house that they built on land that they owned, and at the same time, the land was being taken away from them. So, you know, thank God we were able to finally win, a, 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 you know, a court, a, a court order for them to be able to stay in the house. Mm -hmm. This is not solving the problems of the Middle East. This is not going out and, you know, running a, a peace campaign. Mm. This is working on one focused issue where I felt that I could make a contribution. And mm -hmm. I, that's the way I, that's the way I am, that's the way I think. I think mm -hmm. you know, that's the way I act. Mm -hmm. I'm not a I'm not a big organizer. I'm just, you know, I see something in front of me, I see a person who needs something and if I'm in the, if I'm in a position to be useful, then mm -hmm. that's what I try to do. Mm -hmm. Fulfillment of the words of our stage is that a person who saves a single life, it's as though they saved the entire world. Yeah, although it's you know, it's a lovely sentiment. Um, it it bears pointing out that I think the original text is if a person saves a single Jew, mm. it's as though they save the entire world. Neshama had the Israel. And that's that's the tension that we have at this moment of uh, in in Israel, in Jewish people, and where where do our where does our loyalty lie? How much do we need to be concerned about what's happening in Gaza and and con being concerned about the innocent people? Um, how much Israel just needs to accomplish this mission and save the hostages and make sure that Hamas never does anything like this ever again? 
Um, how do how does a person know where uh, you said you know what you're expressing is your your opinion your experience? How does a person know what's um, how their what their soul is meant to do in this world? Who their soul is meant to help? How wide their the scope of their service is meant to be? Hmm. Um, I think, I hope you're going to be able to edit the long pauses out of this because that's something I really have to think about. I'm actually going to lengthen um, the pauses so that yeah. people can really feel the tension. Okay. Um, I don't know. I mean, again, I, I think from my own perspective, you know, there's that, that old saying like there, but for the grace of God, go I, right? So... You know, I, I, we're not rich, but we have money. You know, I'm not, you know, hugely successful, but Baruch Hashem, thank God, I, you know, I've had a career where I've earned an above average income. So that above average income, you know, certainly from, from a halachic perspective, from perspective of Jewish law, that obligates me to take part of my excess and give it to people who have a deficit, right? So Rambam, Maimonides, for example, he points out that the word, he uses the words tzedakah or tzedek, which tzedek means righteous, righteousness, but tzedakah is always translated as charity. And he says, no, no, it's not about giving charity. Giving charity may be like one part of the whole, of the whole picture, mm -hmm. but it's about behaving properly in the situation and maintaining the right order and balance in the world. So if there are things that are out of balance and I have the ability to help to restore that balance, then that's a place where I, depending on my attitude, I could say it's a place where I have an opportunity to be useful, or I could say that that's a place where God is telling me I have an obligation to get involved and do what I can. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I think that, um, you know, I'm not blaming us, not blaming the Jews, not blaming Israel, mm -hmm. but certainly um, the people in Gaza, I think if you try to look at it objectively, which is very difficult right now, people in Gaza who are not actively part of Hamas, we can't blame them for hating Israel, hating Jews. Um, and, you know, as, as you and I, when we had a conversation about this the other day, you know, it's a, a lot of that is also actively stoked by outside forces because it's in their best interest. It's in the best interest of, you know, as not that any one group is more guilty than the other. They're all guilty. It's in the best interest of most of the Arab leadership to keep the Palestinians in their refugee status, to keep the Gazans miserable because that way they can distract their own people from their terrible leadership and say, look at those horrible Jews, look what they're doing to our, to our brothers and sisters. And you notice that brothers and sisters are never actually cared for by, you know, it's, it's often overlooked, for example, that Gaza is under, is under blockade by Israel and Egypt. And why is Hamas not attacking Egypt? Right? And why did Egypt never get blamed for it? And why, when there are demonstrations out there saying free Palestine, don't they say, well, you Egyptians, you know, you also have an obligation, right? It's, 
it's conveniently overlooked and pro and most people that I talk to don't even know the fact that one of the one of the last elements of the peace treaty between Egypt and Israel and I think it was very very late in the in the discussion was that Sadat insisted that Israel have to be has to be responsible for the Palestinians in Gaza because Egypt didn't want them that was a deal breaker at the last minute Egypt refused to have anything to do with the Palestinians whose cause they were championing. And so look at the Abraham Accords, look at the rapprochement with Saudi Arabia. Nobody in the Arab world cares about the Palestinians. A lot of individual Arabs do, but it's also because they're taught how horrible we are. So I don't know. Sorry, I'm going off on that. It's important to mention that today is um, it's called by uh, it's been called to be a day of rage of um, of harming Jews, mm -hmm. um, and uh, I'm I'm curious how that's how you're sitting with that. Um. Look, the, the Hamas, the mentality is so warped and so perverted. Um, the report that I read this morning was that the Israeli military put out this huge broadcast message to the residents of Gaza saying people who live in Gaza City should leave Gaza City because in the next 24 hours, if you don't, you know, it's going to be really, really bad. Mm -hmm. Hamas uh, official communications department, whatever they're called, said, don't listen to them. They're just trying to sow confusion. Everybody stay right where you are. Mm -hmm. In 2014, was it? Mm -hmm. There was something like 2,000 Palestinians who were killed. And uh, Sinwara, who's still there, mm -hmm. said, we'll replace them overnight. Mm -hmm. They're martyrs that will, just, that will just draw more people to the cause. Mm -hmm. right? I mean, so this is by killing their own people and putting their own people in harm's way. Mm -hmm. They're calling that a victory. Mm -hmm. They're going to, they're want, they want a day of rage in Jerusalem? Mm -hmm. Is that what they really want? Mm -hmm. God forbid some Palestinian kid in East Jerusalem takes a swing at or pulls a knife on or pulls a gun on a Jew. Mm -hmm. There will be 100 dead Arabs inside of, inside of you know, five minutes. Mm -hmm. And the crackdown on the Arab population will be like nothing that they've ever seen. It'll make, mm -hmm. it'll make 1948 look like a picnic. Mm. So Hamas is just, I mean, this is kind of one of the, this is one of the tactics or one of the strategies, long-term strategies mm -hmm. of terror movements, which is mm -hmm. to trigger such a, such a huge violent response mm -hmm. from their target that it motivates other people to get involved. Mm -hmm. So from Hamas's perspective, it looks like what they're saying is, you know, you know, in the bombing, like they only killed like 1,400 people in Gaza in the bombings. Mm -hmm. you know, which, by the way, I was surprised that, you know, not that it's a good thing, but I was surprised that it was such a small number, mm -hmm. right? Um, they only killed 1,400 people. We need them to kill a lot more before we get other people on our side. Mm -hmm. So they're saying, you, want to, you know what, how about a day of rage? That would be high visibility, mm -hmm. you know, if we, have, if we have the police mowing down 15-year-olds on the streets of Jerusalem. That'll be mm -hmm. high visibility. That, that'll get people pissed off. That'll mm -hmm. get them involved. Mm. And obviously, one of the things they're trying to do is they're trying to disrupt the deal, the pending deal between Israel and the Saudis. Mm -hmm. The Saudis hate the Palestinians even more than the Israelis do. Mm -hmm. 
So, and that's a difficult thing for them. For the the world doesn't want to acknowledge that. You know, mm. They think, oh, you know, all the Arab brethren. Mm-hmm. You know, well, remember how brothers get along, right? <laughs> the first pair of brothers, I think, were called Cain and Abel. They got along really well. <laughs> and I know that you're very uh, concerned. I think you're con- you're concerned about extremism on on, on all sides, um, both Arab and, and Jewish, uh, and especially in speaking with your your Arab friends. Um, I think uh, I think we're both worried about um, Jewish extremism, people Jews um, attacking um, attacking Arabs, uh, innocent Arabs, and you know it's one thing what happens in the context of war, and with, there's a target that there's mm-hmm. they're trying you know the goal is to kill Hamas members. Um, and then there are, there are innocent casualties, which is a tragedy, but um, does happen in the course of war, unfortunately. And there's another thing of um, of targeting um, Arabs because they're Arab, mm-hmm. uh, which unfortunately um, there are Jewish extremist groups that that's what they believe, um, very very sadly. A couple of I mean, the Jewish extremists are already in charge of, of the state of Israel. That's the, that's already happened. It's not like it's pending or we have to worry about it. They're already in charge. Um, and I would say, you know, this is this is a statement that maybe people will be even more upset with. Um, killing Hamas fighters is also a tragedy. It's a tragedy that people get to the point where the only way for them to interact is with violence. Um, and that's something that I mean, something that Torah teaches us. You know the. The law of a person, a blasphemer, a person who goes out in public, knowing what the cost will be to them, and publicly blasphemes the name of God, and then that person is required to be taken out of the camp, and everybody who heard it puts their hands on the person and says, "Our hands, you know, you do, you brought this on yourself," and then they stone him to death. Right? And my, if you if you remember from my book, shameless plug, um, <laughs> my read of that is, you know, what failure of the society allowed that person to get to such an extreme situation that they, you know, it's like in America, the concept of death by cop, suicide by cop, right? Where you pull a gun on a policeman knowing the policeman's going to kill you, right? And here's a person who did something in public in the society knowing that it would cause the society to put them to death. And what is it that the society, how did the society miss what was going on, how the society failed, that individual that we have to kill that person. And so when we say to the person, you know, our blood, our, your blood is not on our hands, what we're saying actually is, unfortunately, your blood is on our hands, and we have no, we have no way of, of reconciling with that. So instead, we're going to kill you. Okay. Um, so, that, you know, how, does, how do we... Uh, you know, and I, I get it that there that there are people who hate us and who don't want to kill us, and I get it that you know, and it's stunning. And people are just sitting there like passively. It's stunning that on Sunday, the day after the war started, there's a big demonstration in in Times Square in New York City, where people are waving swastikas and chanting 700, 700. So this was not about Palestinian rights. This is about oh, they're so glad the Jews were killed. There was, I think it was in, uh, was it in South Africa, there was a demonstration where, and in Sydney, Australia, they were saying, gas the Jews, gas the Jews. Right? So it's not about support for Palestinians. Nobody cares about the Palestinians. Palestinians are a very, very convenient uh, tool 
to point at the Jews. Okay, but it's the whole world is responsible for the situation. Mm. Okay. Israel has, as I said a moment ago, it's, it's we're already in the grip of the extremists, and that's, I think, that's a big part of the military failure in the first hours and the first day of the war. Mm -hmm. Right? We know that Ben Gvir, for example, transferred large numbers of, of of active duty combat troops from Gaza to the West Bank just in the few days before the attack. Because why? Because he wanted to make sure that the settlers who insisted on going to Hawara and setting up a sukkah, that they were protected. Right? So the people who go to places where they don't belong in order to create a scene, in order to, to, to create a, a confrontation, um, they are aided and abetted by the military. And you know, Ben-Gvir is also distributing weapons, right? He's, he, he said that the, the ministry is going to distribute 10,000 rifles to civilian security patrols. So he's creating a state within a state, his own private army. And everybody's saying, you know, well, that's great. At least we'll be able to defend ourselves. But so there'll be 10,000 rifles out there that are not beholden to the state. This is a very extreme government that we're dealing with, a very extreme society that we're living in. And it's just getting worse. And I don't know, you know, I don't know what the outcome is going to be after this war is over. I don't know what the outcome of the war is going to be and how much longer we're going to be facing this. But, you know, the idea of a ground incursion, it's all, it's all sounds great. You know, we're all so, so upset and so angry and we're so sad by this that we realize that whatever costs we're going to have to take out from us once and for all. But are we really thinking about what that costs? I mean, we're talking about ground combat. Are we talking, God forbid, are we talking about losing another 10 Israeli soldiers or another 1,000 Israeli soldiers? Or, you know, at what point do we no longer have the stomach for that? And at what point do we say to ourselves, you know, this is not working. Just like, what else can we do? And I, I don't know. I'm not saying that I have an answer. But it's very clear that this is not working. So, you know, the whole world is, is encouraging it to not work. They're very happy that it's not working. Mm -hmm. Thank God for America's support, but at the same time, people, re people have to recognize that, the, what is it, $3 billion a year that America, quote-unquote, gives to Israel all goes back to American defense contractors. So the arms bazaar is a big part of what's keeping this whole conflict going. You said that nobody cares about the Palestinians. You care about the Palestinians. You care about the Jews. What's your What's your prayer that you want to share in this moment? Um, I would so, so let me paraphrase um, the words of Palestinian um, public intellectual Sari Nisabe. Um, and I may be the only Orthodox rabbi in Israel today quoting from him, um, but that's okay. Um, he wrote a, a he wrote a, 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 a an interesting book called "What Is a Palestinian State Worth?" And in the you know, in the early chapters, he talks about issues of identity. And he describes he says you know an identity is like a uh, I'm not I'm not giving it over exactly the way he said it, but it's like a stack of coins, right? That you have 
you have a base, and then you put the first coin down, and that's so. So the base is your human being, and then your first coin is maybe um, I'm a man, or I'm a woman, or I'm gay, or I'm a whatever, right? And then maybe your second coin is I'm an American, or I'm an Israeli, or I'm a Palestinian, or I'm a you know. And maybe your third coin is I'm I'm a religious Jew, I'm a religious Muslim, I'm an atheist, I'm a and so, so each level of of identity is built up on and supported by the levels underneath. And when we look at ourselves at our identity, and we look at other people, we look at the top coin, and we say, "Oh, you're a, you know, you're a, 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 an Israeli Jew, an Orthodox rabbi. You must be. You know, I meet people. They say I wear kippah svogai, a you know, a, a crocheted yarmulke." Although sometimes I wear black velvet, so that kind of really, really spooks people. So, you know, keep them guessing. Um, and they say, oh, so you must be like one of these, you know, settler type religious Zionists. I said, why do you say? Because look at the hat that you wear. Look at the yarmulke that you wear. Um, you know, I get involved with families who live in Sheikh Jarrah, and people say to me, oh, so you're like a leftist. What do you mean? What are you doing this, you know, stuff? No, no. And Nusibah says, you know, one of the great tragedies of, of human society is that we look at that top layer and we forget for ourselves and for the people that we're interacting with that underneath all of these layers, we all share one thing, which is humanity. And so if I have a, a prayer of bracha for us all, um, you know, it's that we that we'd be able to find a way to connect at that at that level. You know, it's kind of like it's it's kind of like you know looking at a forest and not recognizing the importance of the root system, right? So it's kind of like the human root system is shriveled up. We've killed it, and without the roots, the trees won't. The trees will fall. And so you can have. So. It's very hard. It's very hard when, you know, when I am under threat and when people that I love are being attacked, God forbid, killed because of, literally because of the hat that they wear on their head and, and having to kill other people for the same reason. And really more than, more than ever before, I, in this particular war, I, I get what Golda Meir said, that, um, as, as dreadful as it is that the Palestinians are killing us, it's also dreadful that they're forcing us to kill them. As I look at what Hamas did in, in this invasion, um, and this is a, a very, very well orchestrated, very well planned, and very well executed plan of mayhem. And you know, their purpose was to not just kill people, but to viciously slaughter people who had no way to defend themselves. And so I'm, I'm less concerned now about my own anger towards them. And, and I'm less concerned personally about, you know, collateral damage. If, if Hamas orders the people of Gaza to stay put, and if the guns of Hamas on one side keeping them in Gaza City and the guns of Israel on the other side blowing away buildings in Gaza City because they know that Hamas people 
infiltrate among the population. Uh, the big part of me emotionally says, sorry, can't help that. And right now I don't care. And after the fact, will I say, gee, it's really horrible that 4,000, 7,000, 12,000 people in Gaza had to be killed. Um, and it looks like whatever the number is going to be, that the answer is going to be, tragically, they did have to be killed because the, the evil and the, the high level of organization of the evil um, that was perpetrated, um, we can't let that happen again. And that was the 2014, you know, I'm told by people who are part of it that, you know, we came close to completely eliminating Hamas, but America said, you know, you should exercise some restraints, don't totally, you know, so we didn't totally, and this is the result. Sometimes, sometimes people have to hurt or kill other people for their own self-preservation. And you know, we've been uh, with, you know, we've been learning some of these halachas this past week as in response. And I think one of the my own take on it is one of the, you know, the famous uh, uh, Talmudic passage that talks about a court that executes people once or twice in a 70-year period is called a bloody court. And, you know, you can't say that there was nobody who deserved the death penalty in a period of 70 years, right? Um, but I think part of, this is my own take on it, that part of what the, what the Gemara is responding to is that, you know, the Torah teaches us what goes around comes around. Right, we call it in Hebrew. It's mida keneged mida, or you know, or you know, a lot of Westerners are familiar with the idea of karma, right? And so, if you're a judge and your job is to put somebody to death, you don't get a free pass just because you're doing your job as a judge. You know, you by becoming a judge, you're taking responsibility for the exercise of your your position. And it has to weigh on somebody when they when they condemn somebody to death and they see the they see the death penalty carried out. And you know, perhaps on a spiritual level, the judges are saying to themselves, you know, I have to do this, but I also know that it's going to cost me in the next world. But some things have to be done. Hmm. We should have a uh courage to, to make the tough decisions and have, have clarity, have compassion, have whatever whatever we need to, um, to get through this um, and be safer and stronger for it. God willing. Amen. All of us. God. Thank you so much. Thank you. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom shalom for everybody. <laughs>